Hello, Canada, and welcome to another episode of Canadian Common Sense. This is Canadian Common Sense with Lewis and Tony. Well, good afternoon, Canada. It's Tony here in Saskatchewan. Today's date is August 18th, 2020. And this is Lewis out here in BC, dodging forest fires and sitting in the air conditioning of my truck at 38 degrees. Ooh, 38. My gosh, it's 34 here. And anybody who's lived in the prairies in either Canada or the United States, for that matter, knows that it's quite rare to have a day without any kind of wind in the summer. But today it's 34 and hardly a breeze. So it's actually uh, pretty amazing out here. Yeah, we had to uh, we had to actually evacuate our job site today because of the forest fire. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, yeah. It started just on the other side of the hill from the development that we were working in. And uh, and it was growing fast. And so we uh, we had to pack up all our equipment, all our tools, everything, and get everything loaded up and out of there. And uh, we did it in about 20 minutes. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. I'm glad to, glad to hear that. So stay safe out there for sure. And the, the weather and the fires are not the only thing that's hot because Canada, we have one hell of a show for you today. And... You say that a lot. <laughs> you know, every, really... every show you say we've got a barn burner for you tonight well <laughs> guess what canada those other shows had nothing on today's show yep today's show is going to be uh yeah and i say this a lot too buckle up canada but here we go on the show today justin trudeau god justin trudeau and justin trudeau what the hell is going on in the maritimes and have we seen our last CFL game? All right. Well, let's just jump right into this here. And well, okay, let's let's start with the CFL because we can get that out of the way really quick. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so, Commissioner Randy Ambrosi um, put the final stake into my heart when he officially canceled the 2020 season, and I think we all saw that coming as it was, especially when you decided to choose. Winnipeg as the hub city. I love Winnipeg, don't get me wrong, but Winnipeg is not the place to play football in November or December. No, exactly. And I mean, we all know CFL players don't get paid a lot. And it's so, I mean, most of these players have jobs outside of playing football. So I couldn't see the players really signing on to a, uh, a CBA that would see them play six regular season games this year for half their salaries. I just couldn't see it even happening. And in the end, it didn't. No. I mean, honestly, you and I make more money than a lot of CFL players, which is because neither you nor I are rich. So, so to, to play yeah. for half of that and to beat the living hell out of your body for half of not a hell of a lot of money, it, not worth it. So I get it. But here's the bigger well, uh, question. Yeah. Average salary in the CFL, I believe, is around eighty-four thousand dollars. Yeah. So, so, it's... so you're you're, I mean, for forty grand, you're gonna you're gonna leave your job and 
play for three months or four months or whatever. And I, I just, I couldn't see it happening. I mean, they have to leave their families behind because they, they're, they're having to do what the NHL is doing and using a hub city and they weren't going to be allowed to bring their families. Uh, and many of these guys had to come in from, the, I mean, half the CFL is from the U S so they, they would have had to come up here and self-isolate and leave their families behind and only get paid half their salary. Yeah. And so this brought up another question that, uh, you actually posed to me, which is you and I had a great time at the great cup game in Calgary last year. Is that the last great cup we're going to see? Oh, I hope not. But honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if it is. Well, you know, the CFL has had a lot of financial troubles over the past few years. So obviously they've got to do something different with their uh, with their business model. And it's a gate-driven league. We've pointed that out before. And I mean, there's the, the largest cities are not getting the fans in the stands. So the, the, the league clearly has to do something different. So my optimistic side says... They've got some time now to start doing some serious soul-searching, reorganizing, come out of the bold new league next year, but will the teams have the money to, to, to opt in? Yeah, and I mean, I, I even saw something about Bo Levi Mitchell saying that we got to all band together and create a better CFL. And, um, and I agree with them. I mean, as much as I love the CFL, it is always come come off as a bit bush league and um unfortunately the big cities in canada don't support it um because there is a bigger better flashier football league in this on this continent and that's the nfl and the big cities see themselves as being too good for the cfl and so vancouver and Toronto, especially, especially Toronto, but Vancouver yep. as well. Montreal, to a lesser extent, they love their football. They support it. They support the team when they're winning. Yeah. Um, but, but the the Argos don't get support even when they win championships. The BC Lions barely get support when they win a championship. I mean, something's got to change in those two markets. Yeah, no, for sure it does. And, and I mean, you and I are old enough to remember when TSN first took over the, the television contracts for the CFL. They had a fantastic marketing campaign, which actually drew a lot of interest. But then, of course, the, I guess you couldn't call them social justice warriors back then, but, I mean, the politically correct crowd back then didn't like some of the, the terminologies that they were using. And TSN walked away from what was actually a great marketing campaign. Yeah, the CFL and TSN, uh, they, I mean, you got to give TSN a lot of credit for the resurgence of the CFL in the last 15 years. Um, Absolutely. They, they were a major part of, like, of, of, of bringing the CFL back to the, to the, uh, uh, to the, to the focus of, of sports fans in, in Canada because, the CFL was on the verge of dying in the late nineties. Like they were, they were on their way out and uh, TSN went all in with the CFL. Like they went all in, like they paid the CFL $10 million, I think for a 10 year contract, which doesn't sound like much, but for the CFL, that was a lot. 
Um, they, uh, and, and I mean, they, they did much of the CFL's job in promoting the league. Um, they, they really, I mean, they set up, you know, they had the CFL, uh, panel, they had Friday night football. They, they did all of this stuff. They came up with a great system and it really worked. I mean, CFL, uh, audience numbers had hadn't been that high since like the eighties and, uh, and, uh, bums in the seats at the stadiums hadn't been that high since the eighties. And, and it was, it was, it was working. It was wonderful. It was great. And the CFL was back and the CFL and TSN combined on a, uh, marketing campaign called radically Canadian. And they had, I, I still have my Our Balls Are Bigger shirt. <laughs> I still have it. It is 22 or 23 years old, but I still have it. And it's really thin. It's really faded, but I am never throwing that shirt out. Oh, yeah. And it was a great campaign. Like you say, it was not just for TSN, it was a, the CFL campaign. Like, I still remember the, uh, what they talk about the field, longer, wider, harder, or something like that? Oh, it was longer, wider, faster, better. Yeah, that was it, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, and it was brilliant. I mean. because, and the our, ball, our, uh, our balls are bigger because the CFL ball is a little bit bigger than the NFL ball. Yeah. And it was, it was the best marketing campaign. And then they they fired that commissioner because they fire every commissioner. Yeah. And, uh, the next commissioner came in and said, "There's nothing radical about our game," and he canceled that program. And it was the worst mistake that he could have made because that that people were buying that merchandise left, right, and center. Oh yeah, yep. And then uh, I believe that was. If I'm not mistaken, either was that Larry Smith or was Larry Smith after that the one who decided to expand into the states, which was an abysmal was, failure. No, the into the states was much earlier. Um, that was in the. Oh, well, uh, was in the '90s. That's right. That was yeah, in the early '90s. Yeah, because the Baltimore Stallions, who who eventually became the Baltimore CFLers, because uh, the the NFL had a copyright issue with the name Stallions. Um, they uh, they went to the Grey Cup final in Vancouver in '94 against the BC Lions. Louis Pasaglia kicked the winning field goal with one second left, and um, the next year the 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 Baltimore CFLers uh, won the Grey Cup, and that is the one and only time that a team that was not Canadian has won the Grey Cup. That's right. Yeah, I do remember that now. Yeah. But yeah, so what I'm concerned with now is that when do they come back? Will they come back? And yeah. you've got new ownership in Montreal who already admitted the team was going to lose money for at least three seasons, and now of course they've lost a ton of money. And the most profitable team was the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, who now with COVID are showing a loss for this year, but last year were made. I think only about 1.5 million, so not a lot of profit. So, yeah, there's something that's got to be done differently. There's uh, yeah. marketing's not a problem in places like Edmonton or or, or Regina, 
or Winnipeg for that matter, because people just love their football teams. But there's six other cities right now who are going to need some kind of, you know, better business model. Yeah. And I mean, and if Saskatchewan is having trouble making money, then I don't know what we're doing here because the, the Rough Riders are the reason there is CFL merchandise. I mean, oh yeah. The, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders account for like 70% of all the CFL merchandise sold in Canada. Yeah, they are actually the third most merchandised sports team in all of Canada in any sport. Uh, only the Maple Leafs and, and the Montreal Canadiens outsell or outmerchandise the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Yeah. And they're having trouble making money. And they're, so, and they're having trouble, yeah. Yeah, something's got something's got to change. Something's got to happen. And I, I, and honestly, I really do think that it comes down to marketing. I, I believe that a really strong, exciting marketing campaign like Radically Canadian is, is what's needed. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that was a fantastic campaign. And, and I'm sure, I mean, I think that TSN is still passionate enough about the league that, they would buy into something like that again, especially if you went back to that model and obviously, you know, update it for the modern age. But I mean, it worked, it worked beautifully and it can work again. It can. Yeah. All right. Let's get on to politics. Let's get on to politics. Um, The Atlantic bubble is still in place and it's quite obviously driving people crazy out there. So we've got in three of the four maritime provinces, um, a lot of action. Let's start with Newfoundland. We knew that Dwight Ball had stepped down. His replacement has now been elected in the Liberal Party of Newfoundland and Labrador, which is Dr. Andrew Fury, who is not an elected MLA, so he becomes premier without a seat. And in an interview on power and politics, he decided to flout as one of his strengths is his positive relationship with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. I don't know if that's a strength for anybody right now. <laughs> exactly. And um, then when they asked him, you know, are you going to ask someone to step aside so you can win a seat or push, press for an election? He wouldn't commit to either. And I thought, okay, oh. you've got, they've got a huge deficit. They've got a, a debt problem. They're on the brink of bankruptcy. And their new premier can't even decide if he wants to get a seat in the House. Wow, that sounds a, a very non-committal and very unleader like well exactly yeah like what kind of leader is that oh I, i'm gonna lead my troops from yeah. behind in a different room <laughs> yeah I mean, that's, that's what jagmeet singh did when he was a, when he won the leadership for the ndp and, and i mean it hurt him yeah well he ran and hid from his seat until he was essentially shamed into uh into seeking a by-election yeah so uh we've got that we've got in Nova Scotia, where there's been some another new revelation on the now public inquiry into the mass shooting there, Premier Stephen McNeil has stepped down. And, of course, when interviewed and asked by CBC again, oh, I've been planning on this for a while, but I thought I'd put it off because of COVID. But now it's time. And you brought up a very good point when he made that announcement, Lewis. Uh, you're going to have to remind me what I said because I don't okay. remember. <laughs> well, because you said it was interesting timing and uh, let's just see if he sells his house and moves to Bermuda. Oh, yes, that's, I did say that, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so uh, to this now, sold his house? 
Um, that I haven't heard yet, but what I did hear was that there is now questions because uh, there was an RCMP officer who redacted a, a warrant that he had had secured. And apparently once a warrant has been, been issued, it's actually public property. So you cannot legally redact anything in that warrant. So now, of course, the questions are, what's in the warrant, man? And who is the warrant for? And who is the warrant for? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, boy, oh boy. Yeah. So we're going to keep on this one, Canada. We've, we've been with this one right from the start and we're going to see this one through, but who knows how long that's going to take. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap the Maritimes up with the ultimate crazy premier Blaine Higgs, who I actually had a lot of respect for until last week when he pulled the Justin Trudeau move and decided he will ask the opposition parties to support his minority government and agree not to topple that minority government, all following the same agenda, walking in lockstep until September 2022 or until the pandemic was declared over. Yeah. Well, I mean, Jason Kenney did it, too, and I and I was really surprised at that. Yeah, well, it didn't work out so well for Blaine Higgs. Um, the Liberal leader in New Brunswick is Kevin Vickers. Now, for any Canadians who need a reminder of Kevin Vickers, he was a sergeant at arms in Parliament back in 2000. God, I can't remember when it was, when uh, a yeah. terrorist stormed Parliament and attempted to gain entry into the House of Commons with a rifle after shooting the... Uh, an unarmed soldier at the tomb of the unknown. No, it wasn't tomb of the unknown soldier outside no, Parliament. The, Hall. War I, I, the war Memorial. Thank you. It was a yeah. corporal Nathan Cirillo who was murdered by this terrorist who then stormed into the parliament buildings. And Kevin Vickers was Sergeant at arms who killed, him, ended yeah. killed him. Yeah. So who's a national hero and decided, I guess his next career would be politics in New Brunswick. Mr. Vickers decided he was not going to play ball with Blaine Higgs and pulled their support. Mr. Higgs threatened to call an election if he didn't get get full party support. And New Brunswick is going to the polls on September 14th. Oh, geez. Yep. So it's so that will be the first uh, election campaign post-COVID, uh, not the one here in Saskatchewan. What's interesting is I was actually just reading before we started the show here that there is going to be no door-to-door soliciting allowed because of the because of COVID, and they're not allowed to hand out any kind of uh, paper brochures. So I thought, you're really handcuffing your opposition. Like this is the ultimate dictator move if I've ever seen one. Yeah, I I mean I understand the restrictions, but at the same time, you can do door-to-door without. Uh, you know, without infringing on people's personal space. I mean, yeah. when they answer the door, you stand, you stand a, you know, a couple steps down or, or six feet away from the door. I mean, that's, you can do it. Well, that's exactly what they've done here, actually, is they said that you can, you can go door to door, but yeah, once they open the door, you need to step back to six feet. And if you're going to put a, hand them a brochure, you can't actually hand it to them. We have to put it in their mailbox and they can take it out when they want. And I'm actually okay with that. Yeah. I don't see anything wrong with that at all. No. So I'm, uh, I'm a little disappointed. No, actually I'm a lot disappointed in Blaine Higgs. Cause that's, uh, that's just a dirty move. You know, it's, yeah. uh, 
he, he's pouting because he's not getting his way, which reminds me of the next guy we're going to talk about. And it just isn't necessary. I mean, he's, I realize that his popularity numbers are good right now because of the pandemic, but he is taking an awful big gamble. Well, and it usually backfires on, uh, on the incumbent government when they, when they call an early election um, without the government falling. Uh, so, I mean, that's like when the government falls, the incumbents usually do rather well in the, uh, in the, re- in, in the next election. But uh, when the government is the one that, that calls an early election because they're not getting their way, uh, it generally doesn't work out well. No, exactly. So uh, we'll segue that into the next one that we don't want it to end well for. And that's no. our, our our favorite topic. What's our favorite topic, Lewis? I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say it's Justin Trudeau. As a matter of fact, it is. Oh. So Justin Trudeau, now I'll, I tried to make a timeline, but there's just so much stuff going on. It's just, it's just so hard. So I'm going to start with Justin Trudeau decided that while the COVID committee was meeting in the House of Commons, a schedule that he and his government had set, so he knew exactly when the House would actually be sitting for this committee, decided that not only was he going to take a vacation, so be away from the House of Commons, he also decided that he would rent out a cottage owned by the Weston family. You'll recognize that name because they own Loblaws along with many other businesses in Canada. Wait a minute, Loblaws got got $12 million of your taxpayer money for energy efficient fridges in some of their stores. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And now Justin Trudeau is using your taxpayer dollars, Canada, to rent a cottage owned by the Weston family in Georgian Bay. And his defense for renting this cottage was, well, it's available for anybody to rent. I'm willing to bet that you and I could probably not afford to rent that cottage. Just saying, I don't know how much it costs, but I'm willing to bet if we have to ask, we can't afford it. Yeah. I'm willing to bet you're right. And now, and he, and he also, they, he's taking a holiday in the middle of a pandemic, a massive recession and investigations into his personal conduct and his government's conduct. And he was supposed to appear at a uh, ethics committee to testify. And he just just went on vacation instead. Yep. And the costs for this vacation are going to be astronomical because there was one video that came out and I can't remember who to credit for it now. And it was a video of, of him in a boat, joyriding out in Georgian Bay. And of course, because he has to have security, his RCMP detail in another boat following close behind. Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, they're, they're all enjoying the same vacation as he is and it's all out of your wallet, Canada. Yeah. Now this isn't even the worst thing that has happened with Justin Trudeau in the last week. No, and matter of fact, his friends at We, and I got to touch on this quickly because I love rubbing salt in their wounds. We um, didn't know that they had to register as lobbyists, apparently, because the Kielberger brothers were technically volunteers in the organization. Oh, poor guys. How how could they be blindsided by something like this? 
Yeah, and and I mean that's that's such a pile of crap anyway. Because even if you're a volunteer, you still have to register as a lobbyist. And they they only lobbied the government forty six times. So I mean, really, it's yeah. just a drop in the bucket. Exactly, and so now they're registering, um, but it's a little little too late. <laughs> yep, yeah, and uh, and it seems that they they're going into the real estate business because they're now selling off some of their pristine downtown Toronto real estate, and they're laying yeah. off a bunch of staff, and they've closed their UK office. Um, I yeah. have a feeling that that we is uh, is soon to be on their way out. Yeah, I would think they are, and good riddance. Good riddance is exactly right. So next on the list of Trudeau and his acolytes, Bill Morneau announced his resignation yesterday, and he resigned actually very, very smoothly and coyly, which got the reaction from, of all people, Jody Wilson-Raybould at Puglass on Twitter. And she said... Right off the bat, and she didn't even mince her words, said there is obviously something we're not being told if he just resigned and there was really there was no fanfare, there was no nothing. She said it was just she said nobody no finance minister steps down that easily. So no, no, and and here's the problem that I see, and that is that the uh the Liberal Party leaked a fake story about Trudeau and Morneau being uh, at loggerheads over how to go about the recovery, um, the economic recovery in this country, because they're saying Trudeau wants to uh, uh, fund green initiatives to to uh, help the economy recover, but Morneau wants austerity. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> when has Morneau ever been an austerity minister? No never. kidding. Okay, under Morneau, this country has gone, even before COVID, was put, I mean, I, they added more debt to Canada's national debt than any government previous. Yeah, so, so I mean, to say it. he's an austerity finance minister, <laughs> give me a break. Yeah, so that's a fake story. Guaranteed a fake story that they leaked in preparation for him to step down. Now, what is the real story? Well, I think there's more to do with we and Morneau. I also think that they're trying to deflect attention from the We Charity scandal. I think they're trying to uh, take people's eyes off the ball. And unfortunately, it's working because the media is eating it all up. Now, this isn't the only minister who's gotten into things this past week either. No, and I was hoping you would go there next because you had sent me a, a screenshot of that story, which, of course, it made me dumb, actually. I, it didn't even make me mad because it's just been one thing after the other. But uh, go ahead. Okay. You, I hope you remember the minister's name because I don't. And I don't have access to the article at the moment. Um, and yeah. 
Do you? Uh, Gibault, who's that the one? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Minister Gibault. He, he uh, as a cabinet minister in the Trudeau government, has been advising a private corporation and getting paid for that advisory role over the past two years while serving as a cabinet minister. And that corporation just got a $20 million contract with the Trudeau government. How about that? I mean, when does this end? Well, that's the thing. It doesn't end. I mean, and we've had so many of these stories. It was just two weeks ago, or the I think you had mentioned that there was a another company in Quebec that was given a sole source contract to manufacture PPE in Quebec, but they don't actually manufacture it in Quebec. But it just happens to be in the Montreal riding of one another prominent liberal. I don't remember if it was a cabinet minister or not, but it's just like. It just never bloody ends. No, it's just it, it, one after another. It never ends. And it's it's so maddening that like it's getting to the point where I I can't even I can't even get angry anymore. It, it's, well, that's I'm thing. in disbelief. Yeah. I'm in disbelief. It's like, how do they think they're gonna get away with this? Yeah, well, I mean, they're just that arrogant, and that's that's the problem, is they really are just that arrogant. And we're going to give you an example, Canada, of that arrogance right away here. I'm going to make one more touch on Parliament while it was still there. Michelle Rempel, who is a firebrand and just a very smart and passionate MP, was chastising the media for the crime of coming to Parliament wearing a very nice, elegant, beautiful dress and the media of course tore her apart but said nothing about Krista Freeland clipping her toenails while sitting in the House of Commons double standard you're going to have to tell me more because this is the first I've heard about this they 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 went after her for wearing a dress she was wearing this beautiful full-length white dress it was sleeveless but I mean, it was relatively form-fitting, and Michelle Garner is actually quite an attractive lady, so maybe there is some jealousy. Oh, did I say that out loud? Whoops, I said the quiet part loud. Uh, (laughs) But she looked great. She actually, it was just, it was a very elegant, very classy, very beautiful dress that she was wearing. And there was a picture of her in the center and Candace Bergen, and I can't remember the other lady that was on Michelle Garner's right. And but they were all, they actually, they looked like they were dressing up to go out in the town after, after the sitting and contrast that with the day before when Christopher Freeland was sitting in the benches in the house of commons with her right foot up and raised up in front of her, clipping her toenails. And you could see most of her legs sticking out of her skirt, which, uh, you know, people have made comments about those before. So I'll leave that, but it's just like, okay, so you've got this really classy lady who happens to be conservative and you've got the deputy prime minister clipping her toenails because she's just so bored in parliament. I didn't even know about this. Oh, geez. Yeah, it's just a couple, just only two, three days ago. Two days ago, I think it was. But not, not oh, very long ago, the story wow. broke. So, 
Wow, I'm going to have to look that up because that's the first I've heard about our new finance minister clipping her toenails. And that's where I wanted to go next is that uh, you stabbed me right in the heart today when you suggested that Justin Trudeau has someone else in mind for Bill Morneau's job. Yeah, Christia Freeland got the job and she's she's uh, she's a former reporter. She has no finance experience of any kind. Yeah, and when you told me that today, um, my response to you was, oh, well, that seemed legit. I mean, a reporter who grew up on a farm, that sounds like the perfect person to be a finance minister. And I just thought back to, I mean, I did a rant, I remember, shortly after we started this show, when she was negotiating the new uh, USMCA accord, and she compared the trade negotiations to childbirth. And I remember her exact quote was, well, just like with all my three children, when you start having contractions, you know that you're getting closer and closer to the birth. And just like with each negotiation, we're getting closer and closer to making a deal. And I thought, you're comparing international trade negotiations to childbirth? What the yeah, hell is and, wrong with and, you? And this is... I mean, we predicted that this was going to happen on last week's show. We did, yes. Yeah, we we did. If you go back and listen to last week's show, we predicted that Christia Freeland would be the next finance minister. And we might not have said it would be a horrible choice then, but we'll say it now. That's a horrible choice. It it is a horrible choice. But who, who, if not her, right? I mean, there's nobody in that in that cabinet that is even remotely skilled. I mean, it's, it's the weak, probably one of the weakest talent pools of any governing party I've ever seen. True. Yeah. So you're right. I mean, if not her, who, and I mean, I guess no names come up to me because like you say, I mean, it's, uh, it's a bunch of, of, of B list actors in there. Like it was just, there's, really nobody i mean even morneau wasn't good at it so i mean yeah and i mean who would it be like mccann oh my god I mean... <laughs> speaking, god, speaking of mckenna did you hear her on power and politics would have been wednesday last week or thursday and they were asking her about uh, about infrastructure money and she said they were redirecting infrastructure money because these were projects that Canadians needed. And she listed off some more artistic displays and bike paths and parks. And we thought, all I could think was, these are the infrastructure projects that Canada needs because somehow these projects are going to be putting construction workers to work or anybody to work. Like these put city workers to work who already are working, by the way, does this just adds extra work for city workers and and yeah wow yeah i just i and i mean isn't there and there's also quite a bit of money missing too that she can't a lot of money missing and was it 20 some projects that they just can't seem to to find they were already built out yeah like how do do you how do you not find an infrastructure project? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So she, maybe she would be a good finance minister because apparently she's dropping the ball as infrastructure. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. No, I just, and, and, and now, and now 
And here's the bombshell, Canada. Justin Trudeau has prorogued government, which kills the committee investigations into the security scandal. Yes, it does. And Parliament is going to be suspended until September 23rd now. It was slated to come back September 21st. So now the government has a month to prepare a new throne speech. And the, the article I read that said that, you know, Justin Trudeau needs, needs to, to reset the focus of his government. And the cynic in me, who was actually just right, said, Justin Trudeau wants to hide away from the Wee scandal. So he's going to take a month off and not allow anybody else to talk about it. Yeah. Here's what's going to happen. This is my prediction. And I, and I, and I, I don't want to blow my own horn here, but I've been more, I've been right more often than I've been wrong. Oh, you have, there's no question. What's What's going to happen here is that they prorogued government. They're coming back September 23rd and they're going to call in a lot. Absolutely. They are. Yep. There's no doubt about that at all. And I think that, uh, the opposition parties, well, I mean, for sure the conservatives, because they've already come out fuming and furious. There's no doubt that the Bloc Québécois is going to be severely pissed at this. And if Jagmeet Singh doesn't at least pretend he's angry, his career is finished. Well, Jagmeet Singh, the problem with the NDP no, is they, they got no money. Yeah, They're broke. Like, they're broke. They, they can't afford to uh, run a campaign. No. Like they're gonna, that party is gonna go so far in debt, it's gonna make Canada's situation look good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I shouldn't laugh because that's actually true. They really, yeah, they 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 really are screwed yeah. that way. Oh, they are absolutely, and and so you've got uh, the NDP who have no money at all, the Conservatives who are, I believe, are breaking records right now they with are. their fundraising, and and the Liberals fundraising has dried up and uh i mean the green party exactly. doesn't matter, so who cares and the block and the block again who cares uh the the scandals in with the with the liberals are not even affecting their numbers in quebec so the the block doesn't they're not going to gain anything no, exactly um but i mean this this is and I know, and I know what's going to happen. Liberals and CBC reporters are going to come out and say, "Oh, but you know, Stephen Harper prorogued government to stop the opposition parties from from taking uh, control of Parliament." And it's, yeah, yeah, he did. But that's because uh, a separatist party was going to hold the balance. Power. Yep, and actually. Yeah. Not to mention, not to mention, it was all being done out of hysteria, and it had nothing to do with a scandal involving himself or any of his cabinet ministers. This has everything to do with the scandals involving Trudeau and his cabinet ministers. Yep, and I'm going to take that one step further, back to the, the attempted coup in 2009, and because... It wasn't even over any legislation. It wasn't over any scandals. It was only because of the fact that Stephen Harper happened to have the most seats out of any party in the House, and the other parties felt 
butthurt by it. So they attempted a coup. And so Stephen Harper prorogued Parliament, and he was called a dictator. And the, the CBC and all the left-wing media, which is all the media in Canada, just ripped him a new one constantly. And remember, you'll remember Jack Layton standing in front of uh, Parliament Hill, Mr. Harper, unlock this door. Shut up, Jack. And I mean, they, they roasted Stephen Harper hard for it because the opposition attempted mutiny. This case is not mutiny. This case is a government running and hiding. And I'm going to be happy to call him a dictator because he's running away from his responsibilities in our government. Not just his responsibilities. He's running away from accountability. Even better way to put it. Yep. And this is, I mean, I, I'm sorry, but at this point, I think the RCMP need to get involved. Oh. They need to start investigating what the hell happened. because, And I'm sick and tired of the RCMP taking a hands-off approach when it comes to scandals in government. Well, it's because they're so, they're so intertwined and controlled by the government that it's... Uh... It's infuriating because they are supposed to be our national police service. I mean, it's the RCMP who's in charge of CSIS. So, like, you've got to be hands-off from government. You can't have the prime minister directly appointing your commissioner and somehow think you're going to be arm's length from the government. Like, No, the RCMP should be headed up by a a civilian uh, board of directors. Yeah, and a nonpartisan, yep. Yeah, a nonpartisan civilian board of directors. And that's how it should be headed up because, I mean, the fact, like, the, the, the PMO has direct influence with the RCMP. Well, they do. And, you're, I mean, you're not going to get your way as far as the RCMP invest, investigating anything, which is a shame because you should get your way on that. What bothers me is that it's, yeah. I mean, he's avoiding accountability, and I'm talking about Trudeau now. With avoiding accountability with like with Parliament, he has you know he doesn't have to avoid accountability with the RCMP because they're not going to go after him, and it just it bothers me a that Justin Trudeau is using every tool in that he can from the parliamentary toolbox to avoid accountability, and b and this rips me even more, and you can tell because I'm getting louder is that is that we've let him do this, we've let successive governments from who knows when they started this to grab this much power that he can avoid any accountability. And this is the worst POS prime minister we've ever had. And if ever anybody needed to be drawn to account for the crap he's done to this country, it's this moron. Rant well over. said. <laughs> well said. And, and you know, and here's something else. Okay. All these contracts that have been given out, whether it's to that the the uh, the the company that Jill Bow was advising and was being paid to do while he was a cabinet minister, uh, the We scandal, uh, that that PPE contract to that Quebec company, uh, any of these scandals, any of these uh, the, the, the Katie Telford's husband's company getting that that massive contract as well. Here's what I suggest. What we need in this country, and if the conser- and the conservatives need to propose this, is that the Auditor General's office should have complete oversight 
over any of these contract being, contracts being awarded in terms of are these ethical, are these legal? You're right. Were, were these put out to tender properly? You know, that kind of stuff. Not, you know, is this a contract that should be awarded? It's because that's not for them to decide. But to make sure that this stuff is done correctly, ethically, legally, because it would stop these from happening. Well, and how many, uh, just, I mean, this just that we've heard about in the past few months, how many sole source contracts has this liberal government thrown around? I mean, we've heard of dozens just in recent months, but they've had five years of this. So how many sole source contracts that have, have gone to liberal party friends or friends of cabinet ministers through the past five years that we don't know about and may never know about? Yeah, I would really like to know because I think there's way, way, way more that's going to come to light. You know, and you and I have said this many, many times that, uh, that boy, oh boy, it would be nice to have Jean Chrétien back again. And, I mean, at least Jean Chrétien, it was just, you know, statues and water fountains at Shawinigan golf courses and some bags of money. And I'm willing to look at those and say, hey, you know what, JC, that compared to what we got now, I'll take that. I'll, I'll take water fountains in Shawinigan over the crap we've got now. And I hate it. Oh, Jean yeah, Chrétien. me too. <laughs> and I would much rather have him. Oh, yeah. I mean, I thought Paul Martin was an absolute idiot as prime minister, but, I mean, as a finance minister, he was actually quite good, and I'd love to see him come back as finance minister. And he was a liberal. Yeah, I mean, he's... 135 yeah. years old now but i but he you know i mean i didn't i didn't care for some of the stuff that they did in order to balance the books but at least they balanced exactly. the books and they were forced into it by none other than preston manning and the reform party because if it wasn't for them they wouldn't Amen. have balanced the you books. bet that's absolutely correct so now um we're coming up on our time here so with a prorogue parliament, uh, we've got yeah. now absolutely zero investigations going on. Committees will not be meeting. So with the, what the conservatives have done, and actually all the opposition parties, I don't know about the Greens, but again, who cares? Um, the three larger opposition parties jointly requested every single document in in regards to the WE controversy. So. So, and I don't know yes. if they're going to get those documents, but I know the request has been made. And uh, Justin Trudeau made a very flippant remark about, well, they'll have a month to, to, to review these documents if they wish. Well, I don't know that they'll get them because it doesn't it kill the committees. I, I think, I believe government? it does. Yeah. It, le- it actually suspends the committees. So, it... yeah, it suspends them. So they're not, they, Documents aren't going to be delivered to them, I don't think, until the until prorogue. To is me, over. that would make sense. So, uh, but yeah, I really don't know what the rules are. But there, but those, yeah, and those documents right now are being um, uh, redacted. Um, oh, I'm right sure now. they are. So, yeah, no, but they are being redacted right now. So. Uh, I mean, they were, they had handed them over. So whether or not they even get them, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Um, 
I think a request or see a Freedom of Information Act request should get them. Yeah, that that's true because that's outside of committee. So that, that would that would actually be a good angle to go. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is this is uh, this is like we've never been through no. this before. So uh, that will be interesting. Oh, and next week when we're back next Tuesday. We will have a new Conservative Party of Canada leader. That's right. Yeah, he will. He or she, because it could be Leslie Lewis, will be announced on Sunday the 23rd, I believe. So we will bring that to you Tuesday, who the new yeah. leader is. And just because Parliament is pro-road, Canadian politics will continue. So we will still be here faithfully for you every week, Canada. So watch for us. You know, Listen for yeah. us on Tuesdays, whether you're on Spotify or google play apple Podcasts, or wherever you're finding us thanks for joining us and i think we're gonna yeah. gonna call it a show for today um well i'm i i just want to say one thing i i really really hope and my fingers are crossed for this that uh that the new leader is um going to take advantage of this next week of this next month uh because there is no parliament they got to take advantage of it somehow they've got to get on the news they got to get out in front of people uh they've got to they got to do whatever they have to 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 get their face and their name and their and and everything in front of canadians since parliament won't be sitting and 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 honestly, I really hope it's Peter McKay. Well said, and I'm going to second that. I think, and I said this in my rant the other day that you know Peter McKay is the leader that Canada needs right now because he's been through a recession, a recession, and he's been at the table. And if anybody listens to the Canadian Taxpayers podcast, I'm going to plug another show because they actually interviewed him, and he made some very good points in that. When they went through the last recession, they went through everything line by line twice in order to keep get spending under control. So he actually knows how to do it. Yeah. All right, Canada. Thank you for joining us. And until next week, it's me, Lewis, in British and British Columbia. And Tony out here in Saskatchewan. Good night, Canada. Good night. and Tony.